In 2017, 29-year-old Lauren Ashley Nicole Phelps appeared to have her whole life ahead of her. The newlywed lived in Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband, Matthew Phelps, where she taught Sunday school, owned her own business, and was busy mapping out her future. However, Lauren's life was not as idyllic as it may have seemed on the surface, and during the early mornings of Friday, September 1st, 2017, the evil that had been lurking in the shadows finally came into the light during a frantic call to 911. Join me now as we take a look into the death of Lorne Ashley Nicole Phelps, a beautiful, ambitious, and kind-hearted young woman who made the mistake of trusting the wrong man, a man that lived in a secret dark life that resulted in heartbreaking tragedy. Born on June 9, 1988, in Los Angeles County, California, Lauren Hugelmeyer first met Matthew Phelps during their time together in middle school in Kentucky when they were just kids. After middle school, the two lost touch and Lauren went on to graduate from Swain County High School in 2007 and later earned a degree from Appalachian State University. After not seeing each other for a number of years, out of the blue, Matthew sent Lauren an Instagram message asking to reconnect. Lauren didn't recognize Matthew at first, but they soon rekindled their friendship, began dating, and were married in November of 2016. At first, the young couple seemed to have a lot in common, and it appeared they had a solid, loving relationship. Scrolling through their Facebook photos revealed many similarities, including a mutual love for Star Wars, animals, and good times, with various pictures of the pair posing with lightsabers, cuddling dogs, and hamming it up for the camera. In 2017, Lauren and Matthew lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh, the capital of the state of North Carolina, is the second largest city in the state and is known as the City of Oaks for many of its oak trees, which line the streets in the heart of the city. Lauren and Matthew resided just outside of the city center in a quaint, tidy townhome in the 5200 block of Patuxent Drive. The primarily suburban district offers large shopping areas, parks, and other amenities catering to young families. The perfect setting in which to begin their married life together. Both Lauren and Matthew were at the start of shaping their careers. Lauren was employed as an auditor with Quintiles, a company that provided research to pharmaceutical and medical technology companies. But she was an entrepreneur at heart. Lauren was most passionate about running her own business. She was a successful salesperson for Sensi, a company that distributes candles and fragrances. Lauren was also ambitious. In the future, 
Lauren hoped to draw on her business skills she had developed at Sensi to open a Hallmark store. She was eager to manage a team and to try her hand at a new challenge. Matthew worked at Dunlap Lawn Service, a company specializing in a broad range of landscaping and maintenance projects, from large commercial jobs to small community-based parks and multifamily homes. However, he did not believe that being a landscaper was his true calling. In 2011, Matthew graduated from Clear Creek Baptist Bible College in Pineville, Kentucky, where he studied mission work and evangelism. He aspired to be a pastor, and Matthew's strong faith was something else that he and Lauren had shared. Lauren was always eager to help the less fortunate, especially children. One of the ways that the bubbly, kind, loving young woman achieved this was by teaching Sunday school and volunteering for the children's and youth ministry programs at Hope Lutheran Church, the church both Lauren and Matthew attended. Hope Lutheran Church was an excellent fit for the couple. It offered a large, diverse congregation of over 620 families from various socioeconomic backgrounds and neighborhoods, and the congregation was comprised of many people new to the Christian faith, a perfect opportunity for evangelical Christians eager to share their Christian faith and love of religion with others. Moreover, Lauren and Matthew's church emphasized its community outreach programs. The church provided service and support for adults of all ages, but focused primarily on helping children and youth, a cause near and dear to Lauren's heart. Though Lauren was career-focused, at her core, she loved children and family. She eventually hoped to start a family with Matthew and to be a stay-at-home mom while raising her children in a loving Christian environment. What Lauren had yet to realize was that her dreams would be forever crushed by a darkness that resided just under her husband's thin veneer of sanity. Some still wonder what exactly started to fracture the relationship Lauren and Matthew had built together, but it was likely a common issue experienced by many young couples. Money problems. While Lauren was thrifty and intent on growing the family savings to fulfill her dreams of owning a Hallmark store and starting a family, Matthew, on the other hand, rarely contributed to the household finances and spent thousands of dollars on iTunes cards and Xbox subscriptions. In fact, Matthew spent more money than he made, forcing his wife to work more than one job to make ends meet. As a result, the couple began to have frequent heated arguments, and Lauren had to take drastic steps to stop her husband's out-of-control spending. The problems within Lauren and Matthew's relationship became so dire that Lauren confided in her friends and family that she was planning to end her once happy marriage after being wed to Matthew for less than one year. Although on the exterior, Matthew was a devout evangelical Christian and a loving husband, he had experienced a troubled childhood that no doubt impacted him deeply. 
His mother was only 17 years old when he was born, and Matthew grew up without a father. When his mother wasn't able to care for her son after becoming a mother at such a young age, Matthew was sent to his grandparents to be raised. Matthew's grandparents did their best to bring up the troubled child, but he suffered from depression and anxiety since childhood. When his family history was learned of by his classmates, the father of a girl Matthew had hoped to date called him illegitimate and forbade the relationship. Later, when he was in high school, Matthew started to abuse cold medicine in order to feel good and to escape reality. This eventually got him kicked out of school. Over time, Matthew also became addicted to video games. His addiction to video games in part stemmed from a deep need for acceptance and the feeling that people wanted him on their team. Matthew had also become fanatical about death. He loved the film American Psycho. Released in 2000, American Psycho tells the story of a rich New York investment banker who is a serial killer in his spare time. The cult classic film is rife with dark humor and gratuitous violence. Matthew enjoyed dressing like the murderous main character and posting pictures of himself on a separate, secret Instagram account. Matthew actually used various social media platforms to explore his darker side. His private Instagram account was under the name Marty Radical, and it was a forum for Matthew to live out his fantasies and secretly discuss his obsession with death. For a while, his profile picture was of the fictional lead character from American Psycho splattered with blood. Oftentimes, the photos Matthew shared were ones depicting him dressed all in black and looking menacing. Matthew's inner struggles were also readily apparent through his online personas. One particular Instagram post Matthew shared quoted song lyrics from the metal band Korn. I can't get out of bed. There is an evil in my head. And on Matthew's Tumblr page, he expressed how even his sleep was haunted by uncontrollable thoughts and actions. He wrote, Ever since I was little, I had some strong activities in my dreams, nightmares, night terrors, sleepwalking, hallucinations, and controlled dreams have all filled my life so far. Eventually, Matthew's obsession with killing transitioned from the online world to the real world. He mentioned to his friends that he was curious what it would be like to kill somebody. And Matthew even told his neighbor that he often thought of taking the gun she owned and shooting himself and others with it. On Thursday, August 31st, Lauren went about her day like every other. Along with completing her usual routine, Lauren posted a Facebook video advertising a recent Sensi product she was selling. In the video, Lauren was smiling and appeared to be cheerful and happy. Less than 10 hours later, shortly after 1 a.m. on September 1st, Matthew placed a frantic call to 911. He informed the dispatcher that he had woken up in his bed to a horrific scene. Before you listen to what Matthew reported, 
Note that North Carolina disguises the voices of individuals who call in to 911. So if he sounds unemotional or drugged during the recording, realize it might not actually be the case. Yes, sir. Tell me exactly what happened. I think I told my What what do you mean by that? What happened? I had a dream. And then I turned on the lights and she's dead on the floor. How? How? I'm I'm tired of blood all over me and there's a bloody knife on the bed. And I think I did it. Okay. Give me one. Alright, stay on the phone with me. I'm getting her and get up, okay? I can't believe this. When did you when did you wake up to find this? Well, I don't even know what time it is. Alright, stay on the phone with me, sir. I'm just gonna ask you a few questions, okay? I'm getting some help to you. Are you with are you with the patient now? Yeah, I can see you. Okay. Alright, how old is the how old is the patient? How's your She's twenty died. Is she, is she awake at all right now? What makes you think she's dead? Is she awake? She's not breathing. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, do you think she is beyond, beyond any help? I don't know. I'm too scared to get too close to her. Okay, just stay on the phone with me, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm so scared. Alright, I've already sent the paramedics to help you, okay? I'm sending someone to assist you. Just please leave everything as you found it. Is there anything else we can do for you, sir? Where's, where's the knife right now? The knife's on the bed. I'm not next to it, so I'm not, I don't have a weapon on me or anything like that. When did you wake up? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I took I took more medicine than I should have. What medicine did you take? I took I took coursing, cough and cold, coursing, HPP cough and cold because I know it can make you feel good. So. A lot of times I can't sleep at night. As the 911 call indicates, Matthew's online musings about horrible nightmares and night terrors had finally come true. He explained to the dispatcher that he woke up from a dream, turned on the lights, and was confronted with a gruesome scene. Matthew was drenched in blood. A knife was on the bed beside him, and Lauren's blood-soaked body was on the floor. Emergency services raced to the scene, but it was too late to save Lauren. Paramedics found her on the floor of the bedroom in the fetal position. Lauren was rushed to Wake Med Hospital, but was pronounced dead upon arrival, and Matthew was swiftly taken into police custody. 
Even during his call to 911, Matthew appeared to be formulating a defense for his actions. He explained to the dispatcher that he had taken a substantial dose of coracetin cough and cold because it can make you feel good and sometimes I can't sleep at night. He insinuated in the call that as a result of taking too much cold medication, he killed Lauren in a drug-induced hallucinatory state. When investigators first examined the scene, they did locate and collect an empty package of Coracetin. Shortly after Matthew's 911 call was released to the public, Matthew's attorney, Joseph Blount Cheshire V, explained that Coracetin's side effects would be a subject of inquiry during his client's trial. Then, a heated public debate on the likelihood of Matthew's claims began. Christopher Lauder, a spokesman for the Bayer Corporation, the company that manufactures Coracetin, released a statement. In it, he expressed his heartfelt condolences to Lorne's loved ones. However, Lauder also said that there was no evidence to suggest that their medication had ever been linked to any violent behavior. Lauder told the media, Patient safety is our topmost priority, and we continually monitor adverse events regarding all our products. There is no evidence to suggest that coracetin is associated with violent behavior. Not much time passed before the Bayer Corporation's assertion was challenged. Stephanie Ferreri, a clinical professor at UNC Chapel Hill's Eshelman School of Pharmacy, suggested that dextromethorphan, or DXM, a cough suppressant found in numerous cold medications, can induce closed-eye hallucinations, out-of-body experiences, and even temporary psychosis. According to Ferrari, there have been questions on whether it should be sold over-the-counter. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has been considering if it should go behind the counter, like they have done with other medications that contain pseudoephedrine. Ferrari also noted that the ingredients in many cough medications are used as the primary ingredient when making methamphetamine. Therefore, it is unsurprising that some individuals use cough medication recreationally to attain a feeling of euphoria. The abuse of coracetin is in fact so common that it's earned nicknames such as Triple C or Skittles. The clinical professor went on to clarify that the recommended dosage of a medication such as coracetin that contains DXM is 30 milligrams twice daily. For Ferrari, if a healthy man Matthew's age took a dosage that exceeded 120 milligrams, he could experience hallucinations, euphoria, agitation, an out-of-body experience, and psychosis. Ferrari also said that people who abuse DXM do not develop a higher tolerance for the drug that can be seen in those who use opioids. She clarified, The side effects are the same each time, same dose, same high. Ferrari told reporters she was not surprised Matthew's lawyer was considering blaming Matthew's actions on coracetin as part of the defense strategy. She reiterated, If I was that attorney, I would go down that route. He has a pretty good case. Matthew's loved ones 
were also eager to blame his inexplicable actions on taking too much cough syrup. They simply could not understand how someone they knew well and who had no criminal record could have brutally murdered his wife. Melanie Duke, Matthew's friend and former co-worker from his hometown Bowling Green, Kentucky, explained how she felt when she first found out about Lauren's death. She said, I was just in utter shock and disbelief. I felt like it was just a bad dream, that I was going to wake up and none of this was true. Duke felt compelled to vouch for Matthew's character because she knew him to be a religious man and the only person other than family members who she had allowed to babysit her young son and daughter. Melanie believed that perhaps too much cough syrup could be the answer to how the Matthew she knew could have killed his wife. She stated, He was not cognizant at the time this happened. I know Matt well enough to believe that with all my heart, that Matt did not do this intentionally. That's how much I trusted Matt and the type of man, and I still trust. It's not trusted past tense. I still trust Matt today, and I would let him around my kids today. However, the investigation into Lauren's death was not painting Matthew as a man you would want around your children. A mugshot taken hours after the death of his wife show Matthew's face speckled with what appeared to be cast-off blood spatter. It was impossible not to make a connection between the police photo and Matthew's Instagram profile picture that had depicted the main character of American Psycho splattered with blood. Additionally, authorities found evidence at the scene that indicated the young husband had taken time to try and clean himself up before calling 911 for help. This seemed to suggest that Matthew was more concerned about protecting himself than getting assistance for Lauren. Also, as mentioned previously, during their investigation, the authorities uncovered that Lauren and Matthew were having money problems. Lauren's friends and family members made it clear that Matthew spent more money than the couple made and that Lauren had recently taken drastic steps to stop Matthew's wild spending. An examination of their bank records corroborated the claim that the couple was plagued with money problems created by Matthew. Police secured seven search warrants and seized cell phones that belonged to the couple, information from their respective Facebook accounts, the townhouse they shared, and their vehicles a 2014 Ford Fusion, and a 2017 Mitsubishi Outlander. The text messages retrieved from the cell phones confirmed Lauren's loved one's claims that she was tired of arguing with Matthew and may be done with the relationship. Police also uncovered a crucial piece of information. Matthew had been previously married and he had treated his wife violently. The authorities claimed that the final straw in their relationship occurred when Matthew dragged his wife down a hallway by her hair, an act that resulted in their divorce. This demonstrated a pattern of domestic violence that the authorities focused in on. Cheshire, Matthew's lawyer, shared another version of events. 
he said that Matthew's first marriage ended because his wife had met another man while on a Christian mission trip and as a result, decided to leave Matthew. Cheshire suggested that the thought of being abandoned by Lorne as well was too much for Matthew to bear. His lawyer argued Matthew did not want to endure another failure. He snapped that day, and what happened, happened. Lauren's autopsy report tells a shocking story of what Matthew was capable of when he snapped. The medical examiner found 123 distinct stab wounds and cuts on Lauren's body, with some measuring more than 4 inches deep. The 11-page autopsy report indicated that Lauren had 44 wounds of the head, 24 wounds of the torso, 17 wounds of the right arm, and 38 wounds of the left arm. Lauren's manner of death was listed as homicide by multiple sharp force injuries. Lauren also suffered from several defense wounds on her body, suggesting that she was either awake at the time of the attack or woke up during it and attempted to fight off her attacker. Disturbingly, investigators found hair clutched in Lauren's hand. DNA and blood samples were taken from Matthew to compare with the hair. It was confirmed to be a match. While fighting for her life, Lauren tore out clumps of her husband's hair in self-defense. Only four days after his fateful call to 911, Matthew made his first court appearance to face a first-degree murder charge. Tensions in the nearly full courtroom were high. Wake County District Court Judge Keith Gregory warned the crowd of spectators and Lauren's family and friends that if they could not control their emotions, to please leave the room and step outside as to not disturb the proceedings. Wearing a standard-issue orange-and-white striped jail prisoner outfit, Matthew entered the courtroom, seeming despondent. He kept his head down and did not look at anyone in the eye. He listened silently while Judge Gregory explained to him that he could face the death penalty or life in prison without the possibility of parole if he was found guilty of first-degree murder. Matthew appeared dazed by the enormity of what was going on. After the short hearing, with his head still bowed, a sheriff's bailiff gently ushered Matthew out of the courtroom in handcuffs. After the proceeding was completed, the press had some probing questions for Matthew's lawyer. When he was asked who had hired him to defend Matthew, Cheshire stated that Matthew's family had retained him. Trying to explain away why none of Matthew's family attended his first court appearance, Cheshire said, They're a long way away. They are trying to do everything they can for their son and grandson. When Cheshire was asked how his client was holding up, he told the press, Matthew's been through a hell of a trauma. He's still recovering. When a reporter pressed the issue and inquired if Matthew felt any remorse for his wife's death, Cheshire merely repeated, He's going through a terrible trauma. Although Matthew's cough surf defense might have gained national attention, it did not go over well in court. When the prosecutors performed a blood test, it did show that cough medicine chemicals were present in Matthew's body. However, 
there were not enough chemicals to cause dizziness or hallucinations. Without the ability to blame cough syrup for his heinous actions any longer, Matthew's defense had little to go on. Finally, on Friday, October 5th, 2018, Matthew pled guilty to first-degree murder. Over 50 people, many from the Hope Lutheran Church, packed the courtroom to support Lauren. They wore matching blue t-shirts that read, Hashtag Lauren's Light, and buttons featuring a photo of Lauren. Judge Paul Ridgway told the court he had never seen such a large show of support. When Judge Ridgway asked Matthew if he was admitting to Lauren's murder, Phelps answered, yes. By pleading guilty to first-degree murder, Matthew admitted to premeditation, which eliminated any possibility that he killed his wife while in the throes of a cold medicine-induced haze. Matthew, the once pastor in training, stood in the courtroom and faced his dead wife's friends and family and attempted to explain his actions. I consider my own life worth nothing in the shadow of the tragedy weighing over my heart and on the hearts of so many people in this room today. I feel like a monster, one of the wretched, a part of the darkness we don't speak of. That darkness consumed me until I was blind to the path I had taken and death to, death to my own cries for help. That darkness caused me to do the unimaginable, to take a life that was not mine to take. No length of time will ease my inner sorrow or relieve me of the memory of such a godless act as my hands which I thought incapable of doing, have committed. And I will have to live the rest of my life with these hands as a constant reminder. I hope my life will be an example of the consequences for those who think that drinking, drugs, and carelessness will only affect themselves and no one else. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever remains so, if that shall he also reap. What Matthew reaped as a result of his plea deal was a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Matthew's lawyer praised Lauren's family for agreeing to take the death sentence off the table by accepting the plea and life sentence. He stated that he hoped Matthew would be able to find redemption behind bars. After Matthew pleaded guilty, Lauren's loved ones spent more than three hours telling the court about Lauren and how her loss had deeply affected them. Lauren's love of helping others, especially children, was highlighted by many of the people who shared their stories. Lauren's involvement with Hope Lutheran Church was also widely discussed, including how she regularly taught Sunday school and spent time volunteering to assist the church's youth. Through tears, Lauren's love of family was celebrated especially her close relationship with her nieces and nephews, who called her Aunt Mimi. One of these young family members was so distressed and terrified by their aunt's murder that they had asked their mother, I will see Mimi again in heaven when the bad guy comes to kill me, right? Lauren's sister, Beth Agner, told the court how close her and Lauren had been and how much she lost when she died. She said, 
the last day Lauren was alive, I talked to her at least five times that day. And so there's a huge void of something happening and needing to call her. Beth then told her sister's killer, Prison is a scary place, but being separated from God is worse, and his judgment is harsher than anything this court can give. Dale Hugelmeyer, Lauren's father, could not contain his grief and anger as he asked the court in front of Matthew, How could he do this to us when we treated him like a son? Lauren's mother, Lori, appeared to be haunted by the thought of the terrible injuries her daughter had endured at the hands of Matthew. She stated, The thoughts of all her little body endured at Matthew's hands are what my nightmares are made of. Lori described how the loss of a child in this violent manner is too much for any parent to endure, and the actions of Matthew James Phelps has forever changed me. Lauren, though, will forever be a part of her mother. Lori said, Heaven doesn't have phones, computers, or social media. Lauren will live on in my memory. The Hugelmeyers had been organizing a family trip to Disney World before Lauren's death, and the Disney package arrived on the very day Lauren was murdered. Although it was extremely difficult, Lauren's family took the family vacation together one month later, knowing it was what Lauren would want them to do. Since their daughter's murder, the Hugelmeyers have spoken out about the dangers of domestic violence in hopes of protecting others from becoming victims. They believe that Matthew drew Lauren's attention by putting on a facade of vulnerability, manipulating her desire to help those in need. Soon thereafter, a darkness fell over his character and they encouraged him to seek therapy. But it was too late. Lauren was already trapped in a cycle of abuse. And before they knew it, she was dead. Lauren's family has been haunted by the idea that they could have done something to stop the abuse and save her if only they had recognized the signs. During an appearance on a talk show to discuss domestic violence and how it must be identified early and stopped, Lauren's father Dale stated, I think about it every day, what I did wrong, what I missed, till this day. I just regret not knowing or keeping my eyes open and watching. In retrospect, Dale believes that on the last day he was with his daughter, she seemed edgy and nervous. He said, It didn't look like Lauren at all. She looked a mess. The family believes more needs to be done to encourage people to be on the lookout for signs of domestic violence. Beth, Lauren's sister, explained that at first, the family welcomed Matthew with open arms, but that they did not realize there was an evil lurking under the surface. She reflected, he seemed to love Lauren in spite of any flaws she could have and would do anything to make her happy. What we didn't know was that he was playing a game, a very deadly game. He was luring all of us into a trap by taking advantage of our kindness and generosity. 
we never once thought Lauren was in danger. Beth believes that Matthew murdered Lauren because she was finally prepared to leave him. Beth explained, I think that he made a decision that Lauren was not going to leave him, even if it meant he had to kill her. The anger that Lauren's father has felt over his beloved daughter's death runs deep. When asked by the media if it was possible that he might one day forgive Matthew, he replied, No, never. I mean, I'll take him to my grave, and I'll still hate him. Love and sadness were all in the air during the beautiful movie memorial service that was held for Lorne on Monday, September 4th, 2017 at Hope Lutheran Church in Wake Forest. The same church where Lorne and Matthew had been married less than a year prior overflowed with people mourning the death of a kind, smart young woman whose life had been cut tragically short. During the service, Lauren was honored for being a devout member of Hope Lutheran Church, who worked closely with the congregation's children and youth. Lauren's pastor, Wayne Pauls, requested that people pray for Lauren's family so that God would strengthen their faith and that they would continue to be comforted by his word in this time of tragic loss. And also for the children, youth, and parents of our congregation, as so many of them have been impacted personally by Lauren's death. Contributions were collected in Lauren's name to support Hope Lutheran Church's children's and youth ministries, guaranteeing that Lauren's good works continue even after her death. When Lauren's obituary was printed in the local newspaper, her family ensured that her marriage to Matthew had all been but erased. Not only was there no mention of a husband, but also Lauren was only called by her maiden name. Any association with being a Phelps had all been stripped away, essentially freeing Lauren from the chains of a marriage that she could not escape in life. On Wednesday, December 12th, 2018, the Hugelmeyers participated in a vigil that was organized to support victims' families who had to deal with a loved one that was killed during an act of violence. The event is held every year by the North Carolina Victims Assistance Network. Many of those who attend the vigil hope to spread an understanding of the terrible impact violence can have on both families and the broader community. It's especially fitting that the vigil is held in December, close to Christmas. Lauren's family had expressed in the past how terribly they miss her during the holidays. Her mother described how they held on to holiday traditions to honor Lauren. She said, We love Christmas, all of us. And when Lauren first said, Ola lights, it was perfect. We haven't changed it. The vigil ended with every family having an opportunity to say their loved one's names, followed by the phrase, we will remember. Lauren never had the opportunity to reach her business goals or to have the family she dreamed of. 
but as long as Lauren lives on in the hearts of her family and friends, she will always be remembered. Writing and research for this episode was by Christine Penhale. You should check out her website, The True Crime Files, for in-depth articles on missing persons and unsolved murders. We'll provide a link to her website in the show notes. And now I would like to introduce two podcasts, Real Life, Real Crime. Overton, host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Join me each week to hear true and unscripted stories of the cases I actually worked during my career as a major crime investigator in South Louisiana. Go to realliferealcrime.com where you can listen to each week's episodes and find links to our social media. I appreciate y'all. Don't let me catch you down on the bike. and MCRO Radio. Hey guys, I'm Melissa. And I'm Richard. Together, we are the hosts of MCRO Radio Podcast. A raw, uncut, uncensored, conversational podcast. We cover a wide array of topics. From our everyday experiences to trending media. Everything pro wrestling. Our stoner thoughts. Every so often, ending with Canadiana for you, bud. We're not your average podcast, and not your average couple. We say what you're thinking. You can listen to us where you already listen to your favorite podcast. And if you like us, give us a follow. We're uh, at MCRO Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening eh? eh? Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorrecords.com.au slash G-E. I can feel the madness. 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 I can feel the madness.
someone standing at my door I hope they can't get in cause I'm not prepared to run 